In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are holy. You are the Holy One. We believe. We hope. We adore you. We love you. We trust in you. We desire you. We surrender our lives to you again tonight. We gather here in your name, Jesus, and we make an act of faith that you are here in our midst in a special way. And we believe that you have many special graces, many special gifts in store for all of us here this weekend. That you want to grow in friendship with each and every one of us here. That you want to grow in intimacy with all of us here. We thank you, Jesus, in advance for all of the good things that you have in store for us, for the encounters that await us with you. Mother Mary, we crown you the queen of this weekend as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So just a, a word of introduction. I invite you all to have an expectant faith this weekend. What is an expectant faith? Well, you can expect God to bless you this weekend. You've all made a big sacrifice to be here. You've taken time. You've made an effort to come here. I mean, you've already made a big commitment to be in this formation program, to answer this call to be deacons, and for you wives to support your husbands who feel called to be deacons, to serve the church in this capacity. So you have already made many acts of faith. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here in this room tonight. But there's always more. There's always more. We never want to put God in a box. We never want to put ourselves in the box. We don't want to put each other in a box. Because that's limiting. And God is so far beyond any limitations that we may have. Or that anybody may have, for that matter. So we don't want to put out any limitations on what God can do here this weekend. Amen? Amen. So that expectant faith just is open to whatever God wants to do, expecting that he, he's at work. He's always at work. He's always the protagonist, I like to say, in our relationship with him. Becoming a deacon was not your idea, right? It, it may have come to you in many different ways, I'm sure. You all have different vocation stories. I have a vocation story. You all, for those, you know, is everyone married, by the way? Is, or is some, do we have some? Okay. All right, so I don't want to, like, just generalize, but anyway. For those of you who are married, right, there's... A vocation there there's a vocation story there and then the diaconate is something on top of that you might say so God is continually at work in our lives calling us to deeper friendship calling us to greater love calling us to greater intimacy with him and as you see from the top of your agendas there the schedules I wanted to focus on intimacy with God as a foundation for your ministry. I didn't want to take that for granted. In the, in the seminary, they harped on that a lot with us. There's a classic book, too. If you haven't read it, it's a good read. The Soul of the Apostolate. Anybody read that one? 
the soul of the apostolate. Okay, so put that down. That's your homework for, you know. <laughs> Before you're ordained, you should read the soul of the apostolate. And if you're already a deacon, you should go back and read it if you haven't read it. The Soul of the Apostolate by Dom Chatard or something like that. It's a, it's a spiritual classic. And the principle is any kind of apostolic fruitfulness that you will have in the Lord's vineyard will really only come insofar as you are united to the vine. So your relationship with God, your intimacy with God, is what will ultimately help you to bear fruit in your ministry. It's what people want to encounter in you. When I think about what I'm going to preach or when I think about meeting you know, a penitent in confession, when I think about retreats, People don't want to hear some intellectual discourse that I've studied. At least I don't think they do. <laughs> I don't want to hear that when I listen to somebody else. What do I want to hear? I want to hear about somebody else's encounter with God. I want to hear about someone else's relationship with God. How have they been touched by God? How have they grown in their relationship with God? That's what I want to know. And I hope that's what you want to know, because that's what you're going to get this <laughs> weekend. I'm not going to talk to you about the nuts and bolts of being a deacon. I was only a deacon for like five months, I think, or something like that. You know? So that's a whole other story. I've been a priest now for almost 18 years, creeping up on 18 years. So I was ordained. It was Thanksgiving Day. I was ordained in Rome at Santa Maria Maggiore. If anyone's been to Rome, St. Mary's in Rome, beautiful church. So I was ordained at St. Mary's uh, November 25th, 2004. It happened to be Thanksgiving Day. The Romans don't care about that, but I cared. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and there were a number of us Americans ordained legionaries that day. So we were definitely celebrating Thanksgiving Day in the year of the Eucharist on our ordination day. So I was very providential, I'd like to say. And I definitely have grown throughout my almost 18 years of priesthood. And I was in formation for 10 years before that. So I joined religious life back in 1994. So it's been 28 years this summer that I've been a religious. But I can tell you I've really learned a lot, I would say, even in the last five, in particular, five to seven, I've been on this journey, this inward pilgrimage of sorts, which I spoke about in the winter <laughs> uh, with some of you there that, that morning at the formation day. So I hope to just share a little bit of that journey with you and just more than anything encourage you to keep chasing after the Lord in that way. But as I said, he's the protagonist. So it's really being open, being receptive to how he's moving in your life constantly. If you want to write this down, highlight it and, and reflect on it. But the primacy of receptivity. The primacy of receptivity. So not the primacy of activity, <laughs> but the primacy of receptivity in your prayer life. And that will help you to be a, a much deeper man of God and, and women of God and it'll really serve you well in your ministry as deacons and as wives of deacons. So to help us with that, tonight I propose that we read and reflect on John chapter 1, verses 29 and following. So John the Baptist is calling out Jesus as the Lamb of God. That's first, and that just sets the stage a little bit for the the verses I want to focus on, but let's set the stage here with verse 29 through 34. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So as I read that, the word that jumped out at me that I just thought I should highlight here for you is revealed. It's good to keep in mind that Christianity is a religion of revelation. Revelation. What does that mean? It means that God has revealed himself. We believe as Christians that God has revealed himself to us. And what does the catechism say our proper response is to that revelation of God? Faith. Faith. That's where faith comes in. We are believing in the revelation of God. So another thing I'll harp on a lot this weekend is faith, hope, and love. The theological virtues that we all received when we were baptized. They call them the theological virtues because they help us relate to God. We can't have a relationship with God without the theological virtues. That's why God gives them to us right away when we're baptized. I mean, you can have a relationship with God, but it's hard to have a relationship with the Holy Trinity without the theological virtues. So God has revealed himself to us. He revealed himself to you as one who wanted you to follow him. Again, this wasn't your idea. As he says at the Last Supper to his apostles, it wasn't you who chose me. I chose you. And you've responded to that invitation. Thanks be to God. That was a grace, right? The grace to respond in faith comes from God. So that's why we, we can't emphasize enough the primacy of receptivity, being open to God's movements, to his graces that he sends us, to his invitations that he's always sending us. Let's keep going here. The next day, verse 35, if you're, it's John chapter, Gospel of John, chapter 1, now verse 35 and following. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Notice they didn't answer his question, but they asked another question. <laughs> he said to them, come and see. Come and see. Pope Benedict comments in his Jesus of Nazareth, an even better translation here. Come and become one who sees. Write that down. That's our petition for tonight. Lord, help me to become one who sees. Lord, I want to become one who sees like you. And I want to see how you see me. That's also really important. That's a great grace to keep asking for. Lord, I want to see, with the eyes of faith, obviously, right? Lord, I want to see with the eyes of faith how you see me, with love, with tenderness, with great devotion, with great interest, with great care, with great concern, 
with great expectation. Lord, help me to become one who sees. They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. What do you seek? In other words, what do you desire? Desire is so important in our relationship with God, in our relationship with each other. What do you really desire? St. Augustine is great. I confess that I haven't read the confessions cover to cover, but that's another spiritual classic, St. Augustine's Confessions. But as you read it, you can't help but admire St. Augustine for being a man of desire, of a passionate man. And that's, Jesus was a passionate man. And he wants to fulfill all of our desires. Do you read Ralph Martin's book, <laughs> Fulfillment of All Desire? That's another good book. Just giving you all kinds of homework here. The fulfillment of all desire. Jesus wants to fulfill all of our desires. God wants us to live and to pray from that place of desire. Because that implies love and seeking, pursuing, fulfillment, joy. Which is the antithesis of fear. Slavery, shame. Think about it. What prevents us from expressing desires? Fear and shame are the two big ones. Maybe you want to pray into that this weekend. What particular fears, what particular shame do I have that keeps me from expressing my true desires to God? Or to my spouse, maybe. Not that this is a marriage retreat, but hey, take advantage while we're here. Man. <clears throat> desire is very much related to hope. Because you're not going to desire something if you have no hope of attaining it, right? That would be pointless. That would be absurd. So desire and hope are very tight. You know, very tightly related. And sometimes you might, I, I don't know, if the Holy Spirit is the forgotten person of the Trinity, I think hope is the forgotten virtue of the theological virtues. Hope. But can you think of anything that our, our world needs more than ever? Our church? I think more than ever needs hope. And that's why I think that, here's another book for you, Witness to Hope, <laughs> the biography that George Weigel wrote about John Paul II. Witness to Hope. If you want to, well, it's not a quick read. It's like, what, 800 pages or something like that? You can listen to it. But if you want a good history of the, of the church in the 20th century, Witness to Hope, all that John Paul lived through and conquered in a sense, with hope, the virtue of hope, a living witness to hope. And I think we're all called to be that. That's another thing that deacons should be, men of hope for the people that you serve. Because let's face it, you're going to have a lot of hopeless cases approach you, right? And you're not always going to have all the answers can't always fix all the problems, but you can always offer hope because mercy is God's greatest attribute, and, and with mercy, we always have hope for redemption. What does Jesus say in the book of Revelation? Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. 
So notice these two disciples, we don't know who they are, but they were attracted to Jesus. They were attracted to what he said, to how he said it, and they wanted to spend time with him. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to see him. So that is something that is irreplaceable when it comes to growing in your relationship with God. God spent time with him. And not just the liturgy of the hours, not just your rosary, not just the mass. You need to just sit down in front of him. If it's in front of the Blessed Sacrament, even better. Not absolutely necessary, but really helpful to just be in his presence. And let him work on you. <laughs> you don't even need to say anything. I mean, you can, you can, of course, express your desires, which is important, as I said. But then let him speak back. Let him affirm you through his word, but also heart to heart. I've become more and more aware of God's divine affection. His divine affection. Yes, God feels affection for you. And he wants to communicate that through the Holy Spirit, through the sacraments, through the body of Christ, which we are all members of, right? So God feels this divine affection for you. And he wants you to experience that. He wants you to be moved by his movements. He wants you to be moved. Our relationship with God is one of a response, again, to his revelation. Today's first reading reminds us of that. Let's look at that again real quick. From John's first letter. Chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. First letter of St. John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. Everyone who loves is begotten by God and knows God. Whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. In this way, the love of God was revealed to us. God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might have life through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as expiation for our sins. So John's trying to highlight the primacy of receptivity. He's reminding us that God loved us first. God took the initiative. He loved us first. And we can't give what we don't have. So how are we going to get this love of God? By receiving it in prayer. By receiving it in prayer. How am I going to have this personal encounter with God in prayer? And it will make your reception of the sacraments, especially Holy Communion and, and Reconciliation, your personal time of prayer will make your reception of the sacraments that much more fruitful. You'll have better dispositions as you go to receive the Lord. In Holy Communion especially. And instead of, not that this is a bad idea, but I'm just saying, instead of just rattling off a list of people that you're praying for, when you go back to the pew, you can just sit and open up your hands and open up your heart 
just receive the love that God wants to pour into you in that moment in a mystical way, in a real way, though. And that doesn't come necessarily, it doesn't come right away. It doesn't come perhaps very naturally to some. That's okay. God will love you right where you're at. And he will reveal himself to you in a way that makes sense to you, in a way that you will understand. I think most of you know Father Steve Poulos, right? I remember him talking about how God speaks to him. He's a basketball fan. And he says, oftentimes in my prayer, God uses basketball images. And for example, one day he heard the Lord say to him, Steve, you got to take more shots, man. And he, he knew exactly what God was saying to him when he heard God say to him, Steve, you got to take more shots, man. Don't doubt yourself. When it comes to ministry, when it comes to engaging people, when it comes to loving on people, when it comes to praying for people, when it comes to praying over people, go for it, man. Take the shot. What are you waiting for? You'll never make a shot that you don't take, <laughs> right? You'll never make a shot that you don't take. So for me, when I'm in group settings, yeah, I might feel touched by the Lord. I might get a little emotional in group settings. But I'll tell you what, when I go into my car, when I'm alone in my car, that's where the Lord often hits me really hard. Because naturally your walls are down, right? There's nobody around. I can, I can just be myself and I don't have to worry about what other, other people might be you know, thinking or if I might distract them, whatever. Could be when you're in the shower, <laughs> you know? It could be when you're out in the yard, taking the dog for a walk. You know, God is going to meet you where he knows you're going to be most available and most responsive. So don't feel like it has to be in the chapel. Don't feel like it has to be when you're in your prayer chair at home. I mean, I'm sure it's going to happen in those places. But again, don't put God in a box. I'm on retreat here this weekend, Lord, and I, I just want to be blown away. <laughs> Whatever that means, I don't know. Well, that might happen. But again, you may not necessarily feel all kinds of things happening this weekend. That's okay. It doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong and that God isn't at work. Believe he's at work. He is so excited about this weekend. He's very excited to have all of you here. He's like, oh, <laughs> I got him here all weekend. This is going to be great. You know? So the Holy Spirit is ready to light it up. That's for sure. Because he has you <laughs> right where he wants you. I like to call God the divine sniper. I don't know if any of you saw the American Sniper, the movie. He had a, a little motto that he would say to himself before he pulled the trigger. Aim small, miss small. And I think God says that too before he sends graces our way. <laughs> Aim small, miss small. Boom. You know, got him. Because <laughs> I, as I think about my vocation, my calling, literally my calling when I was a sophomore in college. Imagine trying to get a 20-year-old's attention in college, right? Not easy. But it was land. I was starting to pray a little bit more. He's like, oh, I got him now. I know what he's doing. I know his routine. You know, just like a sniper studies his target, right? Tries to figure out the pattern so he can get a good shot. Well, God knew my patterns and he fired a bullseye, you know, one night. I don't remember the day exactly, but I remember the night, and I remember what happened. And, yeah, God hit the bullseye. 
So the Lord is very excited to have us all here. He's got lots of graces for us. And, and principally, what is, what is grace? You know, you hear that word. I remember one day I was studying theology uh, via correspondence. Long story. So I wasn't even in a classroom before I got ordained a priest. <laughs> Imagine that. I never took a theology class before I was ordained a priest. Anyway. So I was studying via correspondence one day on grace. That's the subject I was studying. And then I went to this party, and I was talking to this mom, and I was all proud about what I had been studying that afternoon. And she was asking me. She was really interested in what I was studying. So I was telling her all this that I'd study, and, and she's, she's listening very attentively. She's like, okay, grace, yeah. So basically, it's God's power and presence. I'm like... Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> you got it. So that's all you really need to remember. Grace equals God's power and presence. Basta. <laughs> so when we're asking for grace, we're asking for more of his presence, more of his power, more of his love. God is love. So if we're asking for his presence, we're asking for more of his love. So when, we have, when God has graces in store for you, that is to say that he wants to reveal himself to you, his heart. His heart for you. That's what's really important. He wants you to know his heart for you. And that can be scary. I admit that. Whoa. I don't know if I want to know your heart from you, Lord. <laughs> if that's the case, that's a good thing to pray about, too. Why am I afraid to know God's heart for me? And probably not your whole entire being, right? But there might be parts of you, as we say, that are a little scared of God, perhaps. I think we all have those parts. I know I did. And I'm, I'm sure I still do. They're becoming less and less. But, you know, we hear things growing up. Things happen to us growing up in the name of God. We're like, whoa. Easy. <laughs> so that's also a warning. <laughs> if you're going to be preaching, teaching, always be, you know, always ask God to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. I remember Bishop Barron tells a story uh, when he was rector of Mundelein Seminary in Chicago, and Cardinal George was the Archbishop of Chicago at the time. Cardinal George came in, and I think he actually addressed the deacons, probably who were going to be ordained priests, but... Cardinal George said something to the effect that I know from you know Father Barron here that you're all very orthodox young men and that's great. He says, but don't use orthodoxy like a baseball bat to hit people upside the head with. That's a really good thing to keep in mind. Don't use orthodoxy like a baseball bat. That doesn't mean that you water down the truth. That just means you ask God to really help you deliver it in a way and at the right time that will be most helpful for that individual. It's really important in your ministry to treat people as individuals. And that's why it's important that you get to know God's heart for you as an individual. Because then you can appreciate more and more how God treats you as his brother, as his sister, as a son, as a daughter, even as a bride, <laughs> his church. So I guess I'm putting in little, little nuggets for you, <laughs> for your ministry. So take those for what they're worth. Let's go back to our two disciples. 
One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, so we know one of the two, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at him, saw him personally, intimately, and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Kephas, which means Peter. So when God sees somebody, when he looks at somebody, it's deep, it's profound. That's what you're going after in your prayer. That's what you want to seek. That's what we should be desiring, that look. And you can use your imagination. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you use your imagination to pray. Because as you engage your different faculties and your interior, you know, we have exterior senses, our sight and our hearing and so on. Well, we have, you could say, corresponding interior senses. We have corresponding interior senses that help us to pray, that help us to encounter God. That's why silence is important, to foster interior silence, as they say. And that's hard to do today, right? That is a challenge. So here's another little nugget for you. You have to be very <laughs> intentional about fostering silence. Because in today's world, it's not going to happen. Not with these smartphones that we have today. Dumb idea, smartphones. <laughs> well, a dumb idea to be like plugged in all day long. Bad idea. So you have to be intentional about creating <coughs> times and spaces for yourself. If not, you'll just get swallowed up in the current of news. And you'll have so much noise going on up here that when it comes time for prayer, it's going to take you a long time just to start like turning it all off and filtering and trying to filter it all out. So it's a process. Don't get down on yourself. I'm just giving you advice. <laughs> trying to motivate you. But believe me, it's worth it. It's worth it. To be intentional about what you listen to, about what you watch, about what you read. Know yourself. Know yourself. Some people can watch a rated R movie, no problem, whether it's violence or you know, whatever the content might be, and it's whatever, it may not affect them so much. Other people, it might really affect them. It's okay. But on top of that, too, you want to be aware of what you're feeding your soul. You know, The Passion of the Christ was rated our movie, so great movie, right? Uh, Father Stu rated our movie. I liked it, you know? Some people complained about the language. Okay, you know. They were just trying to be real. But maybe that was too much for some people. Okay. Respect that. Know yourself. Maybe it's not for everybody. But be aware of what you are ingesting when it comes to music and TV and movies and books. Because that stuff sticks with us. You don't have to be scrupulous about it, but, but in general, take care of your interior life. That's why the soul of the apostolate is, is a good read, because it, it'll, it'll give you ideas for fostering that interior life. And it's in that interior where we grow in friendship with God.
So we have our interior senses. So we can ask the Holy Spirit, sanctify my imagination. Help me to use my imagination. And then the Holy Spirit will take over. The Holy Spirit will take over and start to animate those images. If any of you have been introduced to Ignatian contemplation, St. Ignatius coaches his retreatants in the, in the spiritual exercises how to approach the Gospels with this sanctified imagination. I kind of do it naturally now. I didn't paint a real vivid picture for you. But as you continue to pray with this, and as we pray tomorrow, I'll try to do I'll try to be more aware of that tomorrow and try to paint with my own imagination a little more vivid picture. And that'll give you more ideas. A bit of a, a runway, so to speak. I think we're very blessed to have the chosen. If you've seen any of the chosen series, I think they're doing a great job for the most part in portraying Jesus and, and his apostles and so you know, Jonathan Rumi, God bless him, but he's a pretty good Jesus, you know. And uh, and that can be really helpful. That can be really helpful. To just notice how he I even made it my my you know the, my screen on my phone, both the lock screen and the home screen, I have images of Jesus. So every time I open my phone, I've got an image of Jesus flashing in front of my face. Those little things can help. I'm not saying you should do that, but I'm just saying, right, the, the, the images that we put around us, the statues, those can just remind us of God's presence and they can help us form these good images of God and the angels and the saints who are with us, who accompany us. Let's just keep going here. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? How do you know me? So when we talk about seeing and being seen, we're talking about being known and loved. They're all synonymous. So when I invite you to ask for that grace to see how God sees you, it's the same thing as saying, I want to know how God knows me. And I want to I know his love for me in a personal way, in an intimate way, in an experiential way, not just an intellectual way. We all know it up here, but we want to know it down here. We want to experience it for ourselves. Jesus saw Nathanael. Okay. How do you know me? Jesus answered him. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So this gives us a little bit of an insight into the fact that God knows our past. And it's, it's an interesting, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but if, if you've seen The Chosen, you can remember these episodes with 
Nathaniel and Philip. And it's interesting how Nathaniel comes to know that that God knows him and knows his story. This is the thing that we all want to know. Does God know my story? And yeah, he does. God knows your story. He knows how, how difficult your story has been at times. He knows how painful it's been at times. He knows the joys. He knows the sorrows. He knows where you've been wounded. He knows where you've succeeded. He knows where you've cooperated with his grace. He knows when you said, not today, Jesus. I'm going to go over here and do my thing. Talk to you later. And he knows how that turned out. <coughs> Usually not very well, right? So he knows your story. That's so comforting. And another key word I would say when it comes to prayer, when it comes to our relationship with God, is vulnerability. You can't have intimacy with God without vulnerability. The word vulnerability has this Latin root there, vulnus, which means wound. So if you're vulnerable, why is it that we like, oh, I don't know if I want to be vulnerable right now? Because we, we recognize that we could be wounded when we're vulnerable, when we open ourselves, when we expose ourselves. People could take advantage of us. People could make fun of us. They could criticize us, etc., etc. But the Lord wants us to know that we can be vulnerable with him. And again, he goes before us. You could say that Jesus is the model of vulnerability. Look at how he was born, and look at how he died. So I'd like to say, from the crib to the cross, Jesus made himself vulnerable. And today, how does he make himself vulnerable? In the Eucharist. What looks like a piece of bread, right? Doesn't get much more vulnerable than that. Anybody here could go up to that piece of bread and smash it. So he's made himself vulnerable. Why? Out of love for you. He made himself vulnerable out of love for you. As you make yourself vulnerable, inappropriate ways, of course, right? But as you make yourself approachable, that's another important word. You can't be very approachable if you're not very vulnerable. But don't we all appreciate priests and deacons who are approachable? Because we've all <laughs> tried to approach those who are not so approachable, <laughs> and it wasn't so pleasant. Or if you have a boss, right? Somebody like that, right? So that's a, that's a characteristic of a deacon that you would want to be. I want to be an approachable man of God. And when I'm vulnerable in my time of prayer with the Lord, I'm getting real with God. Which is another way of saying being humble. You can't be vulnerable if you're not humble. You can't get real with God or with anybody else if you're not humble. So being humble is not thinking less of yourself. C.S. Lewis would say, it's thinking of yourself less of the time. <laughs> but it's more than that. Humility, as Mother Teresa would say very simply, is the truth. What's the truth? What's the truth? And when you're humble, you can admit the truth. In English, we say that somebody is down to earth. That's where the word humility comes from, the Latin word that references the earth, the ground. If someone is well-grounded, right, 
that's praiseworthy. We, we think of somebody who's well-grounded as somebody who's in touch. That's another way of saying it, right? Get in touch with reality. All these things are really helpful when it comes to prayer. There's a, a, an expression in healing prayer. You got to feel it in order to heal it. You got to feel it in order to heal it. And in order to feel it, you got to get real. You got to get real and feel it so that God can heal it. And that takes time sometimes. Sometimes it's really hard to get real and to feel it so that God can heal it. And the good news is God is very patient. God is very patient. And as you go through your own transformation, as you go through your own healing process, one of the things that I've learned that God really wants to teach me, and I think he wants to teach all of us as we go through this, how to be genuinely kind and gentle to yourself so that you can be genuinely kind and gentle with others. Compassionate. To suffer with, literally, that's what compassion means, to, be, to suffer with. So you grow in compassion as you get real with God in prayer. As you allow him to, to meet you where you're at and to love you where you're at. To love you in those places where perhaps you felt very unloved for whatever reason. Because of your own faults or because of other people using and abusing you. Neglecting you. But being able to bring those places to the Lord in prayer ultimately is so liberating and life-giving. So let's just take as models for this weekend these, these disciples and this, this early encounter with Jesus. We've had a lot of buzzwords here, keywords, and I trust the Holy Spirit is just going to continue to, to use those to speak to your hearts tonight and tomorrow.